Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Amen, amen. It's a beautiful day. You all look good today. Happy to be at church. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for being here. Always like to take a moment. Welcome all of our locations across Connecticut, Massachusetts. Can we put our hands together and say good morning? Good morning, church. We love you. Welcome in Worcester. Welcome in Stanford. Welcome in Hartford. Grateful for you. So thankful for all that God is doing in the house these Last couple months, last couple weeks, wow, what a move of the Holy Spirit. It's really been incredible. If you've not been around the last uh, number of months, I just encourage you, ask some of the people around you, what's, what's been going on at Vox Church? Because something supernatural has been happening. God is raising up a people that are ready for spiritual awakening, and we get to be a part of it. I'm so excited about it. Hey, at every one of our locations uh, in your welcome pack today, you got this little card about our legacy team. Some of you might know what the legacy team is. Some of you might not. Those are people that say, hey, I want to really lead the way in generosity at Vox. I want to be one of our leaders in giving and in seeing the gospel advance through generosity. And we know that generosity in the Bible is not about a dollar amount, right? It's a position of the heart. And so it's not equal amounts in giving. God blesses each of us in different ways, but it's actually equal sacrifice in giving. And so if that's something that interests you, you say, hey, I want to lead the way. I want to help us reach more cities with the gospel all across New England. Uh, we've got some big dreams, some big plans. On October 15th, there's a, a gathering of our Legacy Team people. You're invited. If you want to be a part of it, you can fill that card out and just drop it at the Next Steps table at every location. We'll get you some more information and get you connected to that, uh, to that team and to that event. It's going to be a great, great time. This is week three in our teaching series, The Sacred Us. Did you join a group yet? How many times am I going to ask you this, right? Did you join a group yet? I hope so. If you haven't yet, I'm just going to keep guilting you into it. There's still room. There's still room for you. All right, we've got well over 200 groups meeting across, which, by the way, isn't that amazing? I mean, thank you, Jesus, for everybody that's leading a group, hosting a group. Thank you for doing that. If you haven't gotten a book yet, we're diving into uh, principle number one today. So, so important. I encourage you to grab one of those at the Next Steps table at every location. But we've been talking about biblical community. What does it mean to be a part of biblical community and how do we go deeper? Today we're going to be in John chapter 1. I love this text. John chapter 1. This is one that we often kind of skip over when we read the Bible, but it's got something for you today. John chapter 1 verse 35. It says, the next day again... John was standing with his two disciples. Now, that's John the Baptist. And if you're new to the Bible, it is a little confusing because almost everybody's either named John or Mary. And so it's like, there's a lot of Marys, a lot of Johns. So that's John the Baptist, okay? The Gospel of John was written by a different John, okay? And so it's okay. And then there's John Mark. He wrote one of the other uh, uh, Gospels, too. So, and he looked and, uh, at Jesus as he walked by. This is John the Baptist. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come 
and you will see. Go ahead and turn to that person next to you and say, come and you will see. Come on, just tell them. At every location, come and you will see. And they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed. Boy, wouldn't it have been cool to do that, by the way? Just like, let me go see where Jesus lives, you know? And they, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. I want to speak today under the heading, What Happened in the House? What Happened in the House? I think God has a word for you. Would you open your heart with me? Let's pray. God, we come to you. Different backgrounds, different circumstances, different situations. One God, one King, one Lord, one Father of all, one Christ. So we come today with one heart, seeking you. I pray that you'd reveal yourself, Jesus. That even now, right where we are, at every one of our locations, that the Spirit of Jesus would begin to move and that you would speak to us in a personal, transformative way. In your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. 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 I need, to, I need to borrow somebody's phone. I know that's a danger. Can I borrow somebody's phone real quick? Can I just borrow? Just come on. Yeah, come on. Don't throw it. Oh, bang. Dang, let's go. All right. Hey, I got a phone. Okay. Hey, you know, it's amazing what you can learn about a person with a phone. You know what I mean? Like you can, uh, you can oh, let's find out some things here. You can, um, you can see what they've been doing, right? You can see who they've been texting. You can text for them. Hi. There, right? You can, uh, you can do all kinds of things with somebody's phone, right? I mean, you could see the apps they've been using. You could see how much time they've been spending on their phone. You know, my kids, I'm always checking how much time they've been spending. And they're like, no, Dad, those numbers aren't accurate, right? It's like... I'm pretty sure they are, right? It's just incredible to me, all the, all the benefits. I mean, you do your banking. I mean, I haven't deposited a check at a bank in a long time because my bank has an app, and it can just take a picture of the check, and then, boom, it's in your account. Like, it's incredible what you can do, right? You can pay your friends on Venmo. You can do so many things just with, I'm just going to hang on to this, just with somebody's phone you know phones are the social portal of our age I mean they really do connect us to everybody it's social media it's texting it's phone calls it's amazing you know the iPhone hit the market in 2007 and since that time smartphones have just exploded all over the world 81% of Americans today are using smartphones and I think um, maybe maybe the older (laughs) the older older generation and younger younger generation is swaying that number because I think it's just such a high amount of people I don't know hardly anyone who doesn't have a smartphone, and we enjoy the benefits of phones, right? I mean, I'm thankful for all the benefits that I have with my phone, but I do think that it's come with some challenges, right? And I think that if we're honest, the thing that was a convenience is for many of us quickly becoming an addiction. And I know that's a big word, addiction, because we think of substances, we think of drugs, we think of other things, but it seems that we have created a compulsive culture that needs to have connection to our phones at every moment of every day. And it's really changing the way we interact with each other, isn't it? And there's, like I said, many, many benefits to having a phone, but, but there's this thing where it's like, I can't stop looking at it, right? Like how many times have you looked at your phone since you came to church today? I can't stop looking at it. And when it dings or buzzes, like, have you ever tried to resist? I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was prepping this sermon last night and my phone was dinging in my office and I was in my bedroom. It's all the way on the other side of the house and I heard it and I was like, ah, like I had to go. I had to go see what it was, who it was, what was happening. You know, there's just something about it. Have you ever experienced a phantom buzz where you think your phone is vibrating? 
come on, but it's not even vibrating. And you're like, oh, somebody's, oh no, it's just my body responding <laughs> to the need for a phone, you know, when you lose it or when you're far away from it, there's, this, there's often, not for everybody, but often this sense of panic. This sense of panic. I read a study recently. They found that 94% of participants in this particular study were troubled or anxious when they didn't have their phones. And so there's something compulsive about us. Like, I, I need to have my phone. And, you know, maybe even more concerning than the dependence that we're developing around our phones is the type of people we're becoming because of our phones and because of the culture in which we're living because we're missing moments that we can't get back. And so you're at your kid's soccer game and like he finally scores a goal, right? It's like the kid like can't hardly tie his shoes, but boom, he scores a goal and he's like, dad! And you're like, oh, uh, what happened? Oh, good job. Did anybody film that, right? Like I missed it. Like, I missed it because I was texting with somebody from work. I missed it because I was doing something else, you know? Or you're in a conversation with your wife or with your husband, and, and like, they're right in the middle of sharing their heart. Have you ever done this? And it's like they're talking, and then, bing! And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Are you listening? Yeah, totally. I'm totally listening to what you just said that you should repeat one more time, right? Like, I'm listening. Like, something just happens, you know? Or, like, we all know, hey... Don't text while you drive. Let's just have an honesty moment. We're at church, right? Don't text. Raise your hand if in the last 30 days you have sent a text while sitting in your driver's seat. Don't text. Oh my goodness, it's like 90% of us. What are we all? Ah! Last year, I was away with our executive team. We did like two days away just with the four, four guys that oversee our staff, and we're just talking, and, and we just asked each other, like, hey, what are some areas we could each grow, and what's one thing that, and I asked them, like, hey, guys, what's one area where I could grow, and they said, you know, honestly, Justin, it's pretty hurtful when we're in the middle of a conversation, and you start staring at your phone, and I was like, I don't do that. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> I don't, I don't do, what were you talking about, right, and they were like, yeah, and it was actually, a, it was, it was a rude awakening for me, because I realized that I was changing the way I interacted with people and it wasn't just the phone it was the whole way of doing life this busyness this multitasking this running around I realized that I was lacking one of the most fundamental human skills that every single one of us needs and it is the ability to be present it is the ability to be here now to be here now I wonder even in this moment at every one of our locations are you here now? Are you here now? Or are you somewhere else? Like, I know physically, yeah, sure, you're here now. But mentally, emotionally, psychologically, see, some of us, we're here now physically, but we're living actually in the past. We're living through past moments, feeling regret for things we did or feeling offense for something somebody else did, and we're reliving that. And maybe even this morning, you were kind of reliving it. You were thinking through the whole thing again. Oh, I wish I said this. Oh, I wish I'd done that. I can't believe they did this. I wonder what that, and just going through it all again in your mind, replaying, reliving something in the past, a tragedy that happened, a problem that happened, a pain that happened, an issue that happened. You're always, always constantly living in the past, and maybe you're even afraid to move beyond those past memories because you feel like if you stop thinking about them, you're going to lose something or someone. Living constantly in the past, is that what God has for your life? 
Or some of us, we're living in the future. We're always worrying about what's next or what's going to happen. What if I'm sick? What if we, what if we get a divorce? What if, what, if my, what if my job falls apart? What if I don't have enough money? What if, what if this? What if that? Right? Always in the future. Always thinking ahead. And so our lives are moving at such a pace where we're at work, we're at school, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're driving here, we're driving there, we're texting this person, we're doing that, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we're so consistently doing that most of us don't even know how to be. How to be. I love what Pete Scazzaro said about this. He said that you can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. You can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. And I just wonder... Has the speed of your life been warping your soul? Has it? I mean, when you think about just how quickly you're moving, do you know where you are? Do you know who you are? Are you damaging relationships? Are you missing moments because you don't know how to be here now? Years ago, years ago now, I was in Germany on a ministry trip. And I was doing ministry, you know, various different times throughout the week and, and kind of, you know, preaching a lot of different times at different places. But I was pretty prepared. I mean, I really was actually pretty prepared. I had my sermons ready. I was ready to go. But then we would constantly uh, go out and, and our, our hosts would take us on these little day trips. And they say, hey, you know, you guys are in Germany. You want to go see a castle that was built in 300 A.D.? You know, it's like we don't have much of that in America, right? And so it was just like, wow. And then they say, hey, you know, you want to go to this, you know, this, they had all these different sites that they want to bring us to and show us. And every day I'd be like, I'm good. I'm going to stay home and work on my sermon. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to like meditate on my sermon. And that was like a very spiritual thing to do. I thought, right. I was like, you pagans go out and look at castles. I'm going to be with the Lord, you know? And, and I remember like we finished the trip and it was great and everything was fine. And, and then we got home and, and my wife was showing people pictures and they were like, wow, where's Justin? And, and I was like, oh, I was at home, I was at the host house, you know, prepping sermons. They're like, well, you didn't prep before? I was like, well, I did prep, but I thought it'd be spiritual to over prep. And, and, and I just remember thinking to myself, what was I doing? What was I doing? I was so focused on the future that I missed the moment. I literally missed an entire trip to Germany. I went to one stinking castle. I hardly saw anything because I was just too consumed with what was next that I missed what was now. You know, and it's one thing to miss a German castle, right? But it's another thing to miss your kids growing up. It's another thing to miss your wife. It's another thing to miss God. Because I'm not here now. Did you notice in this text how Jesus is introduced? This is fascinating. I don't know if, if you're, you're, you're pretty calm, so I'm going to give you your phone back because I feel like maybe, you know, if it were somebody else, they might be mildly panicked. So thank you for letting me steal your phone. I just texted a couple people. It's not a big deal. Uh, I said you would give lots of money uh, away. I'm just kidding, Emily. You're good. But, uh, but, you know, how Jesus is introduced in this text, when you see it, it's, it's, it's intriguing because what, what we find is that in the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always introduced recruiting disciples or he's introduced preaching God's word, right? But in John's Gospel, and John, many believe, was his closest friend, the closest friend of Jesus on this earth. And so in John's Gospel, the very first time we meet Jesus, it's very interesting because he's not preaching. He's not recruiting disciples. The first time we meet Jesus in John chapter 1, he is silently walking by. 
That's what he's doing. He's just silently walking by. And I think that John's trying to teach us something about God. That God is closer than we think he is. But if we want to find him, if we want to understand him, if we want to know him, he must be pursued. He must be pursued. It's not enough to just acknowledge that God is there. We must actually seek him. We must go after him. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, God, look at this, waits to be wanted. God waits to be wanted. In other words, God is far more available than you think, far more active than you think, far more agreeable to meeting with you, but he waits to be wanted. He's waiting for you. Is it true? Is it possible to really have access to God that he's present, that he's here? That even today at Vox Church, at every one of our locations in Worcester and Hartford and Brantford and Springfield, that the spirit of God himself is walking by and yet many don't recognize him, don't realize that he's there? And that's what interests me about John chapter 1 because John the Baptist notices Jesus when others don't. Yeah, he sees Jesus. He recognizes the presence of Jesus when everyone else doesn't. In verse 35, it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus. This language is intentional. As he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. See, nobody else noticed Jesus. It was just an average guy in a big crowd on a busy day. And yet, John, this one guy, he sees him. And it's interesting because first it says he was standing there again. Why would the author tell us he was standing there again? Well, because clearly he had been there before. And when he uses the word standing, it's a word that literally means waiting or standing in expectation. And so John was waiting again in expectation, looking, seeking, desiring. And then it says he looked, which means he gazed or he focused. And he said, behold, which means, hey, everybody, look at this, right? So in one little verse, the author uses four different words to describe John's attitude. No one else was waiting. No one else was looking. No one else was seeking. But John saw Jesus when others didn't. I wonder how close he's been this week to you and whether or not it's been his distance or your distance that's kept you apart. You remember the story in the book of Exodus about Moses and the burning bush? Many of us know this story, right? Moses goes and he sees this bush burning in the wilderness and he's amazed by it. And this is when God calls Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt and become this great leader in Israel. And basically his whole destiny is propelled forward by this one encounter with God at a burning bush. But there's an interesting little part of the text in Exodus chapter 3. Look at it with me. It says, this is when Moses first sees the burning bush. So Moses thought, look at it, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up and then this little phrase has always captivated me when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look God called him from within the bush Moses Moses and Moses said here I am wow what this text tells us is that God waited for Moses to seek him before he spoke God waited for Moses to turn around, go back, and explore, to look, to examine, to be here, to be present. So what if you and I have been missing moments with God because we don't know how to be here now? If you're scrolling Instagram in this moment, it might be a good time to look up, to be here now. 
See, being present isn't just about missing moments with God. It's also about missing moments for God. That God wants to use you. He wants to use you today to work miracles, to accomplish the supernatural and the impossible. But if you're ever going to be used by God for the supernatural, you must learn to be available. You must learn to be available. Last week we talked about the church and how the church is the temple of God that as we gather, we actually form the place where the glory of God dwells. And, and something happens when we show up, when we show up at church, when we show up at community group, when we show up for a friend, when we just show up. Something happens just in showing up. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, just show up and things will happen. That's a great truth. Just show up and things will happen. The other great spiritual leader, Woody Allen, he said, 80% of success is showing up. 80% of success is just showing up. And so listen, I show up. I show up when I feel it. I show up when I don't feel it. I show up when it's raining. I show up when it's sunny. I show up when it's nice. I show up when it's not nice. I just show up and then I show up again. And then I show up again and then I show up again. And if you will keep showing up, pretty soon God will show up and he'll reveal himself to you and he'll expose you to the truths that change your life. But you've got to show up being present, just being present, being here. You know, theologians call it the ministry of presence, the ministry of presence. And sometimes we feel like we need the right words or we need to say the right thing. or We need to have an answer for everything or have the Bible memorized. Friends, a lot of times God will use you for a miracle just because you're there. Just because you physically showed up. I remember years ago, in my early 20s, I was just beginning in pastoral ministry. And my father-in-law, Chrissy's dad, he's a, he's a pastor. He'd been a pastor for a long time. And, and he said, hey, why don't you come with me to a hospital visit? And I was like, wow, okay, cool. We'll go to a hospital visit. And we go to this hospital visit. The person's very sick. I didn't know them. I just met them. And I just watched. We were there for like an hour. And I just watched. And like 45 minutes in, we hadn't even prayed. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what are, what are, what are we doing here? And I'm just watching him. And he's talking. And the guy that was in the hospital, he was sick. He, you know, it wasn't a good diagnosis, and he had just been so lonely. And by the time, you know, 40 minutes had passed, they were laughing. They were smiling. The entire atmosphere, we were like joking with the nurses. The entire atmosphere had changed in the room, and we did pray. But I remember I left that hospital visit, and I just thought, wow, I don't know how to do this. Like, he changed everything by just being there. Like just being there. You know, somebody just lost a family member or a friend. What would it look like for you to just be there? Somebody's going through a terrible divorce. What would it look like for you to just be there? Somebody's struggling at work. Somebody's battling depression. Somebody's afraid of the diagnosis they just got from the doctor. What would it mean to just slow down and be there? What would happen if all of us in our little ways, in little moments, just started being there for one another. You know, that's why community groups are so important, because it knits our hearts together with a smaller group so this is possible, so that we can start to learn to be there. Friend, I'll tell you what would happen. Miracles, that's what would happen. The ministry of presence always leads to the miraculous. And so John the Baptist, he recognizes Jesus, and then these two disciples, they start following Jesus, right? One is named Andrew, the other, we don't know who it was. Some think it was John the Apostle who wrote this letter or this, uh, this account of the life of Jesus. We don't know, but, but Jesus sees them, and he turns around, and I love this moment because we get the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, the very first thing that Jesus ever says. And he asks them a question, right? And I want to suggest to you that he's not just asking that question to them. 
but that he's asking that question to you. That it's not just any old question, it's in fact the question, the great question of life. It's the very first words Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John, the word of life, and he's speaking a question to you today. I don't know if you remember the question that he asks, but he simply asks, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What do you want? It's the question of desire. What do you want? Take a minute with me right now at every location and reflect and consider, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want in life? What do I want? Some of you are like, I just want a cup of coffee. That's all I want. Okay, that's great. I can actually identify with that, right? But let's go a little deeper, okay? Let's go a little deeper. What do you want? What do you want? Some of you are like, I just want to get married. You know, I just, I just want to get married. I want a boyfriend. I want a girlfriend. Some of you are like, I just want a new job because, you know, my job is terrible. It's awful. I hate it. I hate going there. Some of you are like, I want to retire or I want to start a new business or I want to have kids or I want my kids to leave, right? Or like whatever, the, whatever stage of life, what do you want? Like, think about it. Like, come on, are you making a list? Like, what are the top three things you want? Like, what do you desire? What do you desire? It seemed like the disciples didn't really know because in the text, they don't really have an answer. They're like, uh, where are you staying? Like they didn't really give a clear answer. They actually responded with a question. So it seems that they didn't really know what they wanted. And I can actually identify with that. Just a couple months ago, I was meeting with a spiritual director, a pastor. He's been a pastor for 30, 40 years and really uh, uh, just an incredibly gifted guy. And he said to me, he said, Justin, what do you desire? And I, I was a little embarrassed at how stumped I was by the question. I was like, well, I want you. I want, I don't know, I don't know. And you know, that was a sign to me that I haven't been present. See, if you don't know what you desire, then you're not present with yourself. What do you desire? What do you want? What do you really want? See, this is where we get into some trouble because our hearts are often drawn to what I'll call imposter desires. Imposter desires are things that seek to satisfy your deep desire, but don't actually ever do it, right? And so you might be in this place where you're like, oh, I want to find the perfect person. I want to find the perfect mate, the perfect spouse, or the perfect, or I want my spouse to become the perfect spouse, right? And so I want them to be Prince Charming. I want them to be the golden-haired maiden. I want it to all be perfect. I want it to just be right. And yet it's always out of reach. It's always broken. The relationship never feels like it's supposed to feel, right? Or you might say, I just want that promotion, or I want that new car, or I want that house, or I want those things. And when you get those things, they're not enough. And when you don't get those things, it's never enough either. And so you're always in this place where it's just not enough. It's just not enough. And so a lot of us have started to internalize this idea that it just doesn't work out for me. It just doesn't fit for me. It happens for him. It happens for her. But for me, it doesn't really work like it does for them. And so on the inside, despair, I'm talking to somebody right now, has started to creep in. It started to distort the way you think about things. And you're starting to slip into what we'll call today quiet quitting. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was telling me about quiet quitting, and I thought, wow, that is such an interesting idea, especially in the time we're living in. Quiet quitting is when you don't actually quit, but you kind of on the inside quit. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I didn't quit my job, but I ain't doing anything extra, you know? I didn't quit, but I am disengaged. I didn't quit my marriage, but I'm not taking you out on any dates. I didn't quit my marriage, but I'm not thinking about, I'm just showing up, I'm eating dinner, I'm watching TV, I'm going to bed. I didn't quit. I didn't sign papers. I didn't walk away, but I've walked away. See what I'm saying? That's quiet quitting. That's where a lot of us are. You didn't quit raising your kids, but you haven't been doing a whole lot, right? You didn't quit on your job. You didn't quit on your friends, but when's the last time you called? You keep showing up for work. You keep showing up at home, but there's no spark. There's no focus. You've quietly already quit. We do this with so many areas of our lives because of disappointment. 
I've been disappointed once. I've been disappointed twice. I've been disappointed three times, four times, five times. And now you don't even know what you desire because you've been quitting for so long. And I just want to speak to you by the Spirit of God today. That what if today, what if right now the spirit of Jesus could come upon you and a new passion and a new desire and a new hunger and a new longing could grip your heart today and the spirit of Jesus could wake you up in ways, come on somebody, that you haven't been awake in a long time because he wants to show you that all those things in life are not what you really want. That yes, it's great to have a wonderful car or a nice house or a beautiful family or everything else. Those are blessings from God, but you need more. Your soul needs more. Your heart needs more needs more. Your mind needs more. Your spirit needs more. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we find ourselves with desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world, right? I was made to know God. I was made to walk with him. I was made to experience his life in me in the context of a sacred community to know him through others. And Jesus, even now, by his spirit offers you that life in John 7 he says it like this if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink that's an open invitation if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me I wonder if that's been the problem if it's been unbelief in your soul whoever believes in me as the scriptures say out of his heart will flow rivers of living water friend believe again Believe again. Come on, look that person in the eye right next to you and just tell them you need to believe again. Come on, tell them you need to believe again. You need to believe again for too long. You've been quietly quitting for too long. You've had it in neutral and you're starting to roll backwards. Now it's time by the spirit of God, I prophesy over your life. Believe again in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. These two disciples, they asked Jesus, where are you staying? And he brings them back to the house and something happened in the house. Something happened in the house. Something happened. Look at verse 39. It says this. They, he said to them, I love this, come and you will see. And they came. They saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. 10th hour is about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So they got there in the afternoon. They hung out, probably had dinner, talked. And when they left his house, they were wholehearted to followers of Christ. When they left his house, Andrew goes and finds Peter and says, I found the Messiah. He said, are you sure? Positive. You ready to give your life? I'm going to follow him till I die. I found the Messiah. One dinner with Jesus changed everything. It changed everything. He was transformed. Jesus said, I love this. Come and you will see. The little phrases of God, how they're so pregnant with truth. Come and you will see. If you ever want to see, you first got to come. See, if you ever want to have eyes to see, it happens by showing up, by being present, by being here now. So over these next seven weeks, we're looking at seven principles that help us form biblical community. And this first one is pretty obvious, but it's so transformative when it's practiced. And I fear that in the busyness and chaos of our lives, we've stopped practicing it. And this first principle is simply that proximity provides opportunity. Proximity provides opportunity that when I am here now, it gives God opportunity to move. And God begins to fulfill the deep desires of my heart for him, the greatest desires of my heart, which is him, when I come close, when I make space, when I make time. You don't have to get your act together first. He doesn't say, come, all who are thirsty and perfect. 
He doesn't say, come, all who are hungry and have worked out all their sin issues. No, he just says, come. He just says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you're in need, come. If you're empty, come. If you're tired, come. If you have been quitting silently for a long time, now you can come. And if you'll believe in him, if you'll believe who he is and what he's done, believe what in particular? Well, this is the secret of principle one. Proximity provides opportunity. And we think of it as us coming close provides opportunity for him to work miracles. And that is true. But it's even more true in the opposite sense, that his proximity provides our opportunity that he comes close because what you realize is that these disciples didn't search the mountains and the rivers and the seas to find Jesus Jesus walked right by them right he walked right by them he showed up right in front of them friends so it is with you that when you were distracted and disengaged and focused on other things and not interested in God full of pride full of fear full of sin he didn't remain distant he didn't send a text message from heaven he didn't send a little pigeon with a message he came in flesh and blood Jesus actually came. And when he lived his life, he lived it as your representative. And when he died on the cross, he did it as your substitute so that he could wash away your sins, make you right with God, put his spirit inside of you so that he could be close right now. See, the first words that John records are that question, what do you seek? But the last words that Matthew records are these powerful words where Jesus says to his disciples, I am with you always. I'm here now. I am present, and his proximity provides our opportunity. You can come close to God because he's already come close to you. And because he's here now, he can, by his spirit, teach us to be here now and begin to support one another and build a community that is impossible otherwise. In my spirit, I believe that this series is a turning point for our church. I believe that God wants to change you in a way that you'll never go back, where you stop seeing yourself as an autonomous individual and you start seeing yourself as a whole, as a part of the whole, the temple of God, as a part of the family of faith. And we begin to knit together in love. We know it's hard, we know it's difficult, there will be offense, there will be challenge, you will be uncomfortable, but we begin to embrace those things and we come into proximity intentionally. In other words, our walk with God and Christian community is no longer one of the planets orbiting around our life, but rather it is central to everything we do and everything we are. And so these two disciples show us a way to practice principle one. And there's a pattern that they reveal. And I want to just point out three things that they do, and I want to challenge you to do them as well this week. Number one, number one, take initiative. Take initiative. This might sound simple, but it's interesting to me in this text how they basically invite themselves over Jesus' house, don't they? They're like, hey, where are you staying? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, can we come? Hey, can we come sit with you? I mean, it's awkward. There's this moment where you feel like Jesus is like, why are you following me? Like, leave me alone, right? But oftentimes in our relationships, we're just waiting for someone else to initiate. We're like, oh, well, nobody invited me at the perfect time, at the perfect house, to a perfect community group that I could perfectly fit in, and everyone's not my age, and everyone doesn't have the same job as me, and everyone isn't living in the exact same situation, so I just don't fit. I just, I, I'm just going to stay on the outside. And that attitude, friend, is cancer to Christian community. Biblical community forms when everybody starts taking initiative. 
when everybody starts actually taking initiative. In fact, the Bible always commends those who take initiative, that actually step up, that move forward. They were never perfect people, but you think of those that were healed in Jesus' ministry, right? You got the woman with the issue of blood. What did she do? She fought through the crowd, and she just grabbed his jacket, and she was like, I'm going to get healed in Jesus' name. She goes after him, the centurion. He's like, listen, don't even come to my house. Just say the word, and, and, you, and, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel, right? Blind Bartimaeus, if you know that story, this guy is blind, and everybody is like, shut up. And he's like, hey, Jesus, shut up. Hey, and he screamed all the more. He took initiative, right? He took initiative, and some of us were so careful, and I don't know, and nobody invited me. Friend, you got to just start inviting yourself. you got to begin to take initiative, begin to take action. Stop looking for a perfect situation and start acting. In Luke 11, Jesus gives us a model for prayer that gets answered, okay? That gets answered, and what he says is, is he says, prayer that gets answered is like this. It's like an annoying neighbor who bangs on your door in the middle of the night asking for bread when you're already asleep. And they're so annoying that you finally get up and give them what they want. It's like, well, that's a strange picture. What's he trying to get you to see? you got to take initiative. God has already opened the door. He's already signed the permission slip. He's already sent the invitation. Now it's up to you to go, to act, to step in. So what would it look like if our whole church, rather than passively sitting back and saying, well, I haven't found my perfect little group of friends, started instead engaging? initiating, taking steps. You're already invited to like 150 community groups, okay? And so begin to act, begin to step forward. That's the first thing we see them do. And then the second thing that I think we can learn from these disciples and from this interaction with Jesus is they take initiative and then they share space. They share space. Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and you'll see. It's amazing how quick our hearts connect when we share space. We just share space. When you enter into somebody else's space, there's an immediate connect, immediate heart connect. I remember a while ago, a couple years ago now, a pastor, I met him on Zoom. And we were just talking, and I was like, yeah, that was a professional relationship. It was very helpful. God bless you. Have a great day. And then he texted me a couple months later, and he said, hey, you know, I was just thinking about you, praying for you, da-da-da. You want to come over for dinner with, with your wife? And so we did. We went over, Christy and I went over to his house, and him and his wife were there, and his, I met his dog, and, and we hung out on his deck, and we had dinner, and, and, and now we are friends for life. We talk all the time. We connect all the time. That was catalytic. Just entering his house changed everything. If I could take you all home with me, right? You'd meet my little dog, Winnie. She's a, a red golden retriever. She'll probably pee on your feet. She gets excited. She's still only like a year and a half old, right? You'd meet Thea, our three-year-old daughter. She attacks me when I come in and jumps into my arms. And I love that stage. And then you lose that stage when they get older. They don't even care. Hey, Dad. You know, but, but, but I'm still in that stage with my three-year-old. It's wonderful. And, and we could sit down and we could have dinner and we could talk. And it would change the dynamic of our relationship because that's how it works. But what would happen if you started inviting some people into your home? Oh, well, it's not big enough. It's not small enough. It's not this enough. It's not that enough. No, 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 no. What would happen if you just started inviting? It doesn't have to be a perfect house. Just anywhere, just you. And then you started going to someone else's home. I'm telling you what would happen is God would begin to knit our hearts together in ways that nothing else would. That just sharing space is so supernatural. It's powerful. You can learn more about a person in their space in 10 minutes than you would in 10 hours of conversation. Something happens to hearts when we just share space. And so we see this model. They take initiative, they share space. Some of you, you've never had Anyone from the church over your house? How about this month that ends? How about your goal is the month of October, you're going to have somebody over? That's it. That would change the whole church if we all did that. It really would. 
Share space. Then the third thing. I love this. This is the third thing we can learn from them. Keep some things just between us. That's the third thing. Keep some things just between us. This is my favorite part of the story. That we have no idea what happened at the house. We don't know. What did they talk about? I don't know. What did he do? I don't know. Did he pray for them? I don't know. Did he heal them? I don't know. Did he prophesy over them? I don't know. What happened at the house? Well, they went in one way. They came out another way. They went in skeptics. They came out converts. They went in unsure, and they came out ready to give their life. We have found the Messiah. Something happened at the house that completely changed them, but the author intentionally does not tell us. Why would you think that the author does not tell us what happened at the house? He doesn't tell us because that was a moment for them. It was a moment for them. It wasn't a moment for you. And if you want to have your moment, you've got to learn to just keep some things between us. In other words, not all things are for public consumption. That if we ever want to really cultivate community, sometimes we have to put down our phones, stop posting this, stop picturing that, and just have real conversation. And then be mature enough not to share it with the world. That keep it just between us. And when we start to share secrets, when we start to share struggles, when we start to share personal things and it stays just between us, now real community can form. Real community could form. I wonder what could happen. Just think about this. What could happen in our church? This is principle one. We got six more principles. What could happen if, just, if we just did principle one? Proximity provides opportunity. We all started taking initiative to build relationship. We all started sharing space and letting people in and going to other space. And we all started just keeping some things between us as we grow in relationship. Just building that rapport. What could happen? I'm telling you what could happen. Acts chapter two could happen. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer, and God added to their number those who were being saved. Miracles were being done. The supernatural would break out. God would work miracles if we just started being here now. So I got a question for you, personal question, right? What do you need to do to break the cycle of distraction? What do you need to do? You've heard all about this idea of being present, of being here, of being aware, of being attentive. Proximity provides opportunity. What do you need to actually do? Because a lot of times we hear things like this and then we do nothing. What do you need to do to break this cycle of distraction? What will it take for you to make space in your schedule, in your time, that God might reignite your desires? What do you need to be delivered from quiet quitting? And what if you started right now? What if even right now you said, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I repent of a distracted life. Come on, let's just be honest. I repent of being too busy to see Jesus. God, if I was at the Jordan River that day, I probably would have walked right past you because my phone was consuming my attention. God, for too long I've been staring down rather than looking up. For too long I've been distracted and I have not been ready. God, forgive me for not being present for the people in my life and for not being present for you. Teach me to be here now. What could happen if we just asked God to do that in our lives today? Come, Spirit of Jesus. Would you stand with me at every one of our locations? Come on. I want to ask God to reignite or maybe it's the first time, to ignite something in your heart before you leave. I want to ask God right now, by the Spirit of Jesus in Hartford and Middletown and Bramford, to meet us right where we are. I believe that God's going to give you, even as we sing today, some specifics about what he's calling you to do. 
And so I just want to urge you and encourage you as the Spirit of God places those things on your heart, actually act on them. But I want to pray that God would reignite your passion. I want to pray that God would slow you down if he has to. And I want to pray that God would raise up a people of wholehearted devotion because of the encounters that we have with God and each other in the house. Would you pray with me? At every one of our locations, just bow your head, open your heart. Spirit of Jesus, I pray that you meet us right now. I pray that a readiness would begin to come upon us right now. I pray, God, that you would shake us out of this apathetic attitude that has dominated our perspective for far too long. I pray that even now you would convict us and convince us that this is the time to change. God, we have been stuck in neutral for too long. I pray for fire in our souls right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for a readiness and astuteness and awareness to grip us by the spirit of Jesus. We need you, Lord. We've been lulled to sleep by the distractions of our age. I pray in Jesus' name, God, would you wake us up even as we sing today, as we worship today. I pray that the living God would manifest here now and that you would ignite our hearts with a new passion and a new desire to know you and to be known by you and others. Lord, wake us even now, we pray. By the Spirit of God, I pray that you would do it as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.